This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk about the new hit movie, In the Heights, discuss some big news in the world of gaming, Jordan puts out the hit on the besties, and more. Stay tuned for another entirely tone-deaf episode of TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and this podcast is Streets Ahead. I'm Jason Simmons, and say my name so I don't disappear. I'm please, <laughs> please say my name. I'm Jordan Walkup, and I'm just saying, it's silly when we get into these crazy hypotheticals. You really want some bread? Then go ahead, create a set of goals, and cross them off the list as you pursue them. And with those 96, I know precisely what I'm doing. Ladies and gentlemen, he's back. Lynn manuel Miranda. It's one of those names where he's only really been linked to, like, one other thing that everybody knows, but we're still like, well, if he's involved, it's gotta be good. And, so far, sticking true. So, for those of you who don't know what In the Heights is, this was the musical that paved the way for an absolutely insane pitch for a show about rapping founding fathers to actually come into existence. (laughs) So In the Heights first started in 2005, and then by 2008, it had made it to Broadway and won tons and tons of awards, really put Lin-Manuel Miranda and a lot of the actors involved on a pretty phenomenal trajectory to be in much bigger and more mass appeal projects, but this is where it all started. And the movie adaptation, we got some big names up in here. Specifically, if you like other things that Lin-Manuel Miranda's been a part of. (laughs) So it's directed by John M. Chu, who's had a lot of big movies under his belt, and sort of in descending order of absolute insanity, you got Crazy Rich Asians, Now You See Me Too, G.I. Joe Retaliation, and not one, but two Justin Bieber movies. So, like, this guy's done it all. Now, for the cast, we got Anthony Ramos as Usnavi, Melissa Barrera as Vanessa, Corey Hawkins as Benny, Leslie Grace as Nina, and the only character reprising their role from the Broadway run, Olga Merides as Abuela Claudia. Now, Jackson, set us up. What is In the Heights? In the Heights is the story of, uh, mostly of Usnavi in Washington Heights in New York City. It follows uh, about like a week, a week of time where... Some, you know, crazy events happen that, you know, really affect the main characters and uh, just, you know, really demonstrates what life was like. I think um, the original Broadway writing for it was inspired by Lynn Manel's life, I think, in Washington Heights, maybe. Um, so, yeah, it really just, like, portrays how life there was and is now. Um yeah, that's that's pretty much the the main premise without actually going into like the entire plot. <laughs> okay, well, how about this? I'm gonna, I'm gonna set you up here. Let's take those four main characters: Usnavi, Vanessa, Benny, and Nina. So they each kind of have their own thing going on. So what's happening with Usnavi? Yeah. So Usnavi, um, he owns a bodega that used to be his parents, who were um, immigrants from the Dominican Republic, um, and then they passed away. And then he takes over it with his cousin, uh, Sonny. And then Vanessa is an aspiring fashion designer. Benny, um, is Usnavi's best friend who works for a, uh, he's the dispatcher for a taxi company. 
and then Nina is the daughter of the owner of the of the taxi company, who is uh, the first of her family to go to college. So that's been like a big deal for her. That plays a big part in the story. And then uh, Abue- Abuela and Claudia is pretty much just you know everyone's uh, grandmother in quotes. She's not actually the grandmother of any of these characters. <laughs> yes. So. Most of this, this is sort of a slice of life story, just what life is like for these people living in Washington Heights, and it is sort of framed through the relationships between these five characters, and yeah, that pretty much sets up what we're getting into. So Jason, why don't you kick us off on the review? Well, it's a musical. Uh, not quite as much singing as what you would expect from Hamilton, or uh, if you've actually you know seen or listened to the cast recording for In the Heights. Uh, there's much less music, honestly, uh, than I was kind of expecting. I, I expected something more like, I actually haven't seen any of the movie plays, but I was expecting it to be mostly kind of sung through. Not that the show is 100% sung through, but I did kind of expect a little bit more, um, but... It's got a great cast. I thought, in particular, Anthony Ramos, uh, Melissa Barrera, and Corey Hawkins all did really well with their roles, uh, especially the singing. They all have really good voices. I was uh, left a little disappointed by Leslie Grace's performance as Nina. Um, I still thought it was really good, but the cast recording, uh, the original person that played Nina, I'm blanking on her name, uh, Mandy Gonzalez. I don't think she was the original, but she did it for the cast recording and on most of the Broadway performances. Has such, like, a full voice. It felt a little empty. But, I mean, overall, I thought that the story was pretty good. I mean, you have... There's a lot of different moving parts going on with Usnavi and his plans to move back down to the Dominican Republic. Vanessa's plans to move uh, uptown in New York to downtown in new york (laughs) from the heights and then benny and nina who just their main focus is nina is trying to live up to her family's expectations of her and just the barrios expectations of her uh and kind of dealing with her father's expectations of her in in addition being too high because of all that he and his family had previously sacrificed uh, I don't think... Actually, Benny doesn't really have that strong of a story in this, does he? His story is mostly just living there and being there for Nina. Which, I mean, is good. But he doesn't really have like his own plot. It's been kind of scrubbed from the theater version. Yeah, and I think, I think if I would have went in with a clean slate, like no background information on this story at all i think that would have been fine but honestly at first i was a little disappointed like i think that the music the acting the directing just some of the individual shots of this movie are brilliant like everything about it as its own thing was excellent but it wasn't what i expected it to be from being very very familiar with the play itself and i think if you go in with the right mindset you're still going to really enjoy this but you just got to be weary this is not a one-for-one retelling of the story of in the heights this is a adaptation of the story of in the heights that fits a more traditional movie formula because in the heights as a play is very it leans heavily into the fact that it's a play a lot of how it is staged a lot of the progression of the plot is with a play in mind and a lot of that is changed substantially to make it more like just a normal movie i think if you go in with that mindset knowing a lot of stuff's going to be different still good but different I think you're going to really enjoy this, even if you were like me and you were really heavily invested in the plot of the original. I've probably, you know, been years since I listened to the original, uh, about the time Hamilton was pretty big. 
So, like, I didn't really remember much of the soundtrack, so I didn't know, like, the story or anything going in. So, uh, I think for someone that probably hasn't seen or listened to the original, uh, you know, none of that stuff is going to happen for them, which really makes it a completely different experience for them. Yeah, I will say the acting was really good. Uh, I think that they they really leaned into having like some kind of surreal dance scenes throughout the movie uh, that were really interesting. Um, and I wasn't expecting at all. Like I thought it was really cool, and it was the total opposite of how I expected a lot of those scenes to look. Well, when you're when they were doing it on stage, they generally only had you know a couple of people on the stage at a given time. And for the movie, they have some of those dance scenes. I don't know how much of it is all real people or how much is just like digital doubles. But uh, some of those dance scenes have dozens, uh, maybe even like a hundred people in some of them. It's it's wild just how much is happening on screen at any given time during a lot of the dance scenes. Um, And I think they were all incredibly well directed. I think that none of them felt awkward or that they didn't fit with the music, which I think in a lot of stuff, when you see... With musicals, generally speaking, they can make it comfortable when they suddenly just start singing. (laughs) Like, directors know normally how to make that seem as natural as you can. A lot of movies really struggle when people just start breaking into dance. Like, that's much harder to make look normal. And I think this movie did a, does a pretty good job with that. And plus, just all the choreography is just really good. So, it all fits together really, really nicely. Which was something I was sort of suspicious about going into the movie. I didn't really know what to expect there. I think a big part of the blending into the dance scenes in this movie is... Uh... People will already be doing motions. They, they, they exaggerate like normal uh, activities that they're already doing in a way that makes it seem more natural when they actually start doing the dances. Like they're already kind of dancing while they're just doing stuff in the background or while they're just moving around if it's the main characters of the scene. Uh, but then, you know, as the songs pick up, you'll see the actions are like wider more spread out, more exaggerated. And it's kind of like a slow burn up to most of the dance scenes. Like you don't have any scenes where it, I mean, except for the scene where they go to the club, there's not a lot of scenes where they're already dancing at the beginning. I, I think as each song goes along, you're supposed to kind of be taken out of real, the real world. Like each song starts in the real world. And as it kind of picks up speed, that's when you get into that surreal, you know, everyone in the world is dancing with them. I, I think it's handled really well. Yeah. And I think um, one of the things that Usnavi kind of talks about, like, in the very beginning and a little sort of monologue thing is just like um, how much of the world is just rhythm. So during a bunch of songs, you can just see like people doing mundane tasks that match the rhythm. Some Some of the times it's like, purposely like out there in the open they want you to see it like in the beginning um when the song in the height starts there is a guy pressure washing uh the sidewalk and it like matches the beat but then later on you'll see things like that just in the background um like at one point there's a guy who is kicking a soccer ball up into the air and whenever it lands back on his foot um it matches the beat and i find stuff like that in it to be pretty interesting this was a very like not even really talking specifically about the directing of it. This was a very... I'm trying to think of the word. There's a lot of symmetry in everything. The sets and the character placement and their movements. And there was just a lot of a lot more thought went into things like, where do extras stand? What are they doing? What you know, what busy work are they doing? A lot more went into those things than I think you generally see in movies. And maybe it's just you don't notice those things a lot of movies because there's not something like the beat of a song to draw your attention. But it felt like in any given shot of this movie, anywhere you looked, something was happening that informed the music. 
or just the rhythm of even the non-musical scenes. And I think that was just incredibly cool. Like, it's something that I think happens when you get a lot of people that are more into musicals for the arts than, like, just musicians, you know, just traditional musicians. And I just think there was a lot about this being a Broadway show that really informed what this was as a movie, and that was all really cool. Yeah, I'd say the placement, you know, they didn't really waste a lot of extras to just stand around and look busy. They, everyone that's in the scene feels kind of meticulously placed there. They released a couple songs from the soundtrack prior to the movie releasing. Like, they were good, but they didn't really hold up to the originals, in my opinion. But for me, watching this, watching the visual aspect for the musical numbers, a lot of it clicked. Like, I thought that the soundtrack fit with the movie a lot better, and I think I appreciate those songs more now. But what are what are your opinions? Like, how do you think the soundtrack compared? It feels to me that the people in this movie are less talented singers, right? They're not, like, Broadway... It, it doesn't feel like they're Broadway, like, classically trained singers so much. It kind of feels like there's more emotion in some songs. Maybe that's just partially because I can actually see the people as they're singing them. Uh, but I'll agree, I didn't feel like the, the new recordings were as good as the original cast recording for the show until I saw the movie. And then it just feels kind of like a separate thing right. now. Like, the vibe that I get from the original recordings is a lot more grounded than this movie is. And that's not to say that like it is better than the movie necessarily, as much as this movie is just bigger, and it's trying to appeal to something bigger than the Broadway musical was. And now that I've seen it happening on screen, I totally get what they were going for, and I think that they did it extremely well. Now, my only real gripe with this movie is there are some pretty big changes to how things, how and when certain things happen. And specifically, one important character is removed altogether. Now, I don't know if, <laughs> I don't know how we should talk about spoilers here, because, like, on the one hand, it's a new movie, but on the other hand, it's from a play that's 15 years old, so, like, is it cool to just drop some bombs about what happens? <laughs> Yeah. So, if you're even vaguely familiar with the story, you understand that a big part of the plot here is that Abuela Claudia wins $96,000 on the lottery, but shortly after passes away. Now, in the Broadway recording, one, everything happens in a much tighter time frame. I want to think the entire play is over like a four-day span. Whereas the movie is over like a week, and then there's a big time jump, and then it's like a couple more days. So like it's spaced out a little bit more, but essentially in the play, you find out Claudia won the lottery. She tells Usnavi that she is going to split the money with Usnavi and Sunny and that Claudia and Usnavi are going to move back to the Dominican Republic. So in the movie, no one knows who won the lottery. It's not until the last five minutes or so, over a month after Claudia has passed away, that they find out that she had won, and this movie adaptation doesn't have that level of emotional impact, in my opinion. This is still a very emotional movie. I I mean, I genuinely got choked up about two-thirds of the way through, and then again at the very end. Whereas, like, <laughs> I kind of went into this movie expecting it to be even more heartbreaking than it was. Because, like, for me, personally, this this probably is the most important story to me, like, across all of fiction. 
because I just I relate so much to what Usnavi was going through, and I think that I drew a lot of personal attachment to Usnavi's story, like being on the up and up and having these major changes in your life and then losing someone important in your support system totally out of the blue, throwing everything into disarray. Like, I related to that so much, and this movie just didn't really capture that. Like, it still had some similar plot lines, but it didn't have this really important through line of, you know, we got this money, we're getting out of here. And then Claudia's death changing that. It it just didn't have that same emotional depth to it that I think that the show did. Now, another big thing, the character Camila Rosario was cut from the movie altogether. In this version of the story, uh, she has passed away before the events of the movie even start. Um, she wasn't a crucial, crucial character in the Broadway show, but she had one of the most important moments in the show because in the show there's a much bigger emphasis on the falling out between uh, Nina and her father and then there's a big musical number with Camila where she comes in and says basically you know you're both being idiots you need to communicate you need to come back home when you're in trouble and we need to depend on each other and then that's sort of the moment where things start to rebuild, not only for the three of them, but really for the show as a whole. And without that character there, it kind of made it feel like the whole relationship between Nina and her father was just kind of, I don't know, it was really rushed. It's like they have this big conflict, and then it's basically resolved in one 30-second scene where Nina's just like, I'm sorry, let's fix this. And then it's just done. And it just, it didn't have that same impact. And I totally get, if you're going to cut characters for time, that Camila's probably the one to go with. But it still just didn't have that, it didn't have that grip that the story of the Broadway show did. Yeah, well, I feel like it didn't really have the same kind of character growth for Nina's father. Right? Like, he didn't really have a good scene where he got to explore like his feelings in the movie. Uh, it's just kind of in one scene, he's very angry at Nina and the next scene, Nina apologizes. It's like, well, he didn't grow out of that. So what's <laughs> yeah. even really the point of having that Nina's growth is about what the whole barrio expects of her. So if her father isn't going to have any character growth, then it's not really all that necessary to have his part of the struggles in it. <laughs> right. As weird as that sounds. Now, th all that being said, I still think this was a very good movie that handled those things well. It's just, if you went in with the expectation of this is going to be the story of In the Heights, the Broadway show, it, it's, it's just not in a lot of ways, and specifically these two really big ways. Jackson hasn't talked for a while. Well, you guys have been talking about differences between this and the Broadway for a while, and I have not seen or listened to the Broadway. <laughs> I was just going to ask what your favorite song was. So, Oh, uh, honestly, probably In the Heights, uh, mostly because it's backed up with that really good... I really like that scene um, in the end of the song where um, it moves out from the bodega into the street, and it's like just... Almost like an entire block's length of street is just tons of people dancing to the song. And it really just fits how it was building up, like, uh, sonically at that point and, like, dynamically. That kind of just, like, made the song for me. <laughs> yeah, I think I really liked 96,000 for the same reason. I think that this song, this, both the play and the movie, the strongest songs in it are, like, the ones, the ensemble ones, where, yeah. like, everybody in the song has something to say. Or everybody in the film or the show has something to say in the song, is more what I yeah. mean. Um, in the Heights is also really good for that. I mean, they go out of their way. Everybody gets a line. Everybody gets introduced. Or at least the important people. <laughs> uh, and 96,000, I think, is the same way. I really liked the song. Specifically, I think it's probably one of the more important songs in it because 
especially in the movie, there's this big focus on everybody's dreams. And 96,000 is literally just everybody saying like, oh, what are my dreams? What would I do if I could make my dreams come true? Right. Now, I think that in the Broadway cast recording, the album, I think that the ensemble songs are definitely the best ones, like, by a pretty good margin. I actually think the really standout one from the movie for me, though, is Vanessa's song, It Won't Be Long Now. Because it's a great song. I mean, just across the board, incredibly well written. And, like, I mean, the original recording was great, too. But there was a lot more natural flow with this version. And I don't know how much of that was just Melissa Barrera's performance versus how she was specifically directed to sing it. But it felt like it was that it felt to me like that was the song that was most reflective of an entire character's motivation in one song. And I think it was just a lot more emotional and a lot more powerful than I originally thought of it in the original recording. That being said, I genuinely think every song in this movie is incredible. Like I think that all of it is so, so well done. They cut almost like a third of the music from the show which was a bummer, and I think that if this movie... This movie would have been even better if it really just had most of the music back, but I think that what they did keep, they did incredibly well with. So. Oh, the Carnival del Barrio, that one was... That one far exceeded what I thought of the Broadway recording version as well. So. I haven't been to movie theater for a long time because of quarantine, so I... I forgot how to manage everything, and I had to go pee during that song, so I, I missed a good part of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was an important one. Um, I really liked uh, Benny's Dispatch as well. I think that one's just a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah. And the movie, it's pretty clear that like everyone in the scene is having fun. That was that was one thing that I think was just universally true for the movie, was it? a lot of the music was just a lot more fun than I previously thought of it from the show because the choreography in the Broadway show is of course more grounded because there's less people and they're more practical effects and it's also not as high energy whereas like Corey Hawkins as Benny is just he just looks like he is genuinely having fun with it like it doesn't look like he is doing specific choreographed steps it looks like he's just feeling it out and i think that's how it should look in the end even if it is choreographed incredibly specifically okay well we've already gotten pretty far into in the heights so let's wrap it up with our overall scores and our pros and cons and stuff so jackson what you thinking i really enjoyed this movie even as someone that had not seen the original Broadway recording. And even after listening to the sort of, not really like bad things you guys have to say about it, but like how, how you guys feel about the differences. I, I'm not sure if someone that had seen the original would enjoy this more or less because of that, but I still think it is a extremely enjoyable film and probably one of the most different things I've watched. Cause I've, I've never really watched anything like this, and the only two Broadways I've listened to are Hamilton and then a little bit of In the Heights, but I think part of the fact that this is something extremely different to me also brings up my enjoyment of it, and I already just, you know, um, I mean, like I, music's been a big part of my life, and that also kind of just plays a part for me, because music is one of the central themes of this, besides dreams and family, um so like i really kind of relate to the themes um so that kind of you know brings it up more for me um and it's just it's gotten really just an overall good story even if it is different from the original broadway version and i don't really have anything bad to say about it at all um i would give it a nine out of ten yeah i can agree with a lot of that i I thought that it was really good. Uh, 
I'm usually not, honestly, a very big fan of musicals, and doubly so to movies of musicals. Uh, but, I mean, I really like the original cast recording of this. You know, it's something I've listened to in my car for quite a while, and uh, Abby's been listening to it in her car for less time, but significantly more listens. Um <laughs> uh, We both really love it, and we really enjoyed getting to see the movie together. I mean, it was also nice just kind of getting to go out and go to a movie theater after a year of not doing that. I mean, we got there, and we realized the last movie we saw in theaters was Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) What? (laughs) That's what I have to compare this experience to? (laughs) Uh, But overall, I really enjoyed it. I thought the the people that they had you know taking on all the different roles were really good i mean generally i would say that many of them were even better uh or at least the the combination of the new people and actually getting to kind of see everything mixed with like the spectacle of just a hollywood movie made it really impressive to watch and just a whole different experience um i really liked it i'd give it I think uh, an 8.5 out of 10. I think for me, there's no denying the fact that I was really the one most invested in this movie and that had the highest, you know, expectations for it. And I think that, generally speaking, it delivered on those expectations. I think it was well acted, well directed, the music was incredible, the dance scenes were even better than I expected them to be. But there was just a couple of big changes in the story that I don't think were necessarily bad in their final product, as much as I've seen what this story can be, and it didn't quite deliver on some of those high points. And I get, from a movie-making standpoint, why they would cut Camila as a character altogether, but just as a viewer, I still wish they hadn't. The movie could have been another 15 minutes, you know, and thrown her back in, and that would have been fine by me. <laughs> um... But I mean, overall, like it was still really, really good. I think that they did a lot of really smart things. A lot of these changes were I should have expected of a movie adaptation of a Broadway show. But just overall, still thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Wow. That makes our final review a 8.5. That's how numbers work. Why did I have to add that? <laughs> Folks, it's that wonderful, wonderful time of year again. The Electronic Entertainment Expo. Better known to us gamer folk as E3. So this is when all of the big new announcements for all things electronic entertainment are announced uh, for basically the next coming year. Sometimes they go real crazy and announce things that are years and years away that will inevitably be delayed years and years further. But this is sort of, this is when all the big news for video games hits just all at once. And this year with it being all digital and there not being this big pressure to have it part of this big press conference, we get like seven days of video game announcements and boy howdy, is it hard to keep up with. Boy howdy, did I already kind of get burnt out on day one of just <laughs> other stuff. <laughs> of like the pre-E3 shows and stuff. But we're going to talk about one specific game at one specific event. The whole E3 experience, or the Summer of Gaming experience, started with Summer of Gaming Conference which was this week. And it was a lot of, you know, big, cool stuff. You know, a lot of exciting things coming down the pipeline. But most notably, we finally got that first look at Elden Ring, a game that, in my opinion, wasn't going to happen. I think everybody just thought, kind of thought it was vaporware at this point. Yeah, for me, there was just this game seemed like it was so far out. Like, like I didn't, I didn't really think it wasn't going to happen. But I still thought of this game as so far out that I didn't even know that it was going to end up on the PS5 and Series X. Like, I genuinely had no idea. 
technically, Elden Ring was only announced in 2019, but there have been rumors and rumblings about this game for long before that. Definitely dating back to 2017 when the game was started, really before that, when this potential partnership was even just being considered. Because you got Hidetaka Miyazaki working with George R.R. R. Martin on this game, and, you know, one of the biggest names in role-playing games, one of the biggest names in fantasy novels. This is something that a lot of people have been really excited about for a long time, and then we got no information on for years, but... <laughs> Not only did they drop a trailer, they dropped a release date, and it's less than a year out, and that just blows my I mind. I cannot wait for like, the Sia delayed. <laughs> oh, I, oh yeah. No, it's definitely not coming in January. Don't get me wrong. This game says it's coming January 2022. It's not happening, folks. But, like, the fact that the first release date they're even going to mention for this game is this close is insane to me. Like... This would be like if right after uh, this new Halo comes out, they're like, Halo 7, and it's coming next summer. Like, <laughs> that's one of those things where it's so wild, you're like, there's no way. <laughs> that's not happening. Now, I don't know about you guys. I have fairly limited experience with From Software. Have, have either of you really played like any of their games? Uh, no, I'm, I'm bad at games, actually. I played like the first two hours of uh, uh, Sekiro. That's it. I've I've yeah. played Dark Souls yeah. uh, several hours worth of Dark Souls one, and I've played a bit of Dark Souls two, uh, and then maybe maybe a couple hours of Bloodborne. Uh, so I mean, like I have some experience. Uh, I'm not good. I, you know, I, all those hours, yeah. I'm still in like tutorial areas, essentially. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess I also played yeah. the original Demon Souls. I've been tempted to get the PS5 re-release because um, I've heard it's really good. Yeah. But no, I play baby games yeah. for babies. Uh, you know, <laughs> like God of War. Yeah. Generally speaking, I'm kind of in the same camp. Like I, I kind of wrote these games off altogether because I am not. I'm not patient enough to play super, super difficult video games. So even though I knew Elden Ring was going to be a big game, it really wasn't on my radar. But like, I don't know, probably about three or four months ago now, or probably longer than that, because we were still in the, the thick of quarantine, I picked up Sekiro and was like, I'm going to commit to just this. I was I was staying with a friend for like a week, and I was like, we're going to play nothing with this for this entire week. And now I am just a full-on convert. Like, like I still don't love the like the feel of Dark Souls necessarily, but like Bloodborne's great. has a really great has a really great atmosphere, really great world, really great progression system. But Sekiro, it took it took me about an hour and a half to two hours to give up on it the first time. But the second time playing it, it took me about two to three hours to just get totally hooked on it like it quickly shot up to one of my favorite games of all time so like after having that experience with that i'm just i'm all in on elden ring <laughs> i still don't know if it's necessarily going to be my kind of game but like i am keeping an eye on it as much as i can and again it's not coming in january of next year guys i need everyone to understand that but whenever it does come I'm ready. DC Comics. It's got one of the biggest lineups of superheroes that anybody would ever care to mention. We got Crypto the Superdog. We got Ace the Bathound. Streaky the Super Cat. And many more. I think Aquaman has a dolphin, maybe. <laughs> and we're finally getting... A movie with all of those characters in it. It's called DC's Super Pets. Dwayne The Rock Johnson's going to be starring in it. It's got everybody you know and love that you've always been clamoring to see. You know, I know P. 
people never stop talking about how much they want to see Kevin Hart as Batman. And <laughs> we might get something similar to that now. Uh, big announcement. But like I said, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Kevin Hart, Vanessa Bayer, John Qu- Krasinski, Diego Luna, Natasha Leone, Keanu Reeves, and I quote here, the one, the only bad ass, Kate McKinnon. Bomb emoji, fist emoji. What more can I say? This is a Dwayne The Rock Johnson tweet that he is quoting. BT dubs. Um, uh, God. This is such a weird concept for a movie. It's going to be great. I like, I'm calling it now. It's going to be very, very good. But I, I imagine the pitch meeting for this was just insane i'm really excited for it i mean i remember watching uh crypto the Superdog on like cartoon network and boomerang as i was growing up and it was awesome i mean it wasn't good but it was awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah. jackson did you ever see crypto the Superdog? i did not okay i mean it was a pretty short-lived cartoon and it wasn't one that had like a huge huge following so that's not surprising but let me just kind of lay it out for you <laughs> He's a super dog. He's a superhero. He came to Earth from outer space, and his name is Crypto. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So wow. that's how the theme song goes. Yeah. <laughs> In case you didn't put it together, this is going to be a movie about all the famous DC heroes' pets, who all just happen to have roughly the same powers as them, and like. That's crazy that this is happening in in a world where everything is going straight to streaming. For some reason, this is one of the ones that's getting that coveted theatrical release. Again, Wait, what are you talking about? Again, why would I care about theaters. Why would I care about their owners? This this movie's going to have dogs in it. Do you not understand that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm here for the dogs. If Superman's in this movie, I'm going to be upset because I'm not here for him. I'm here for Super dog crypto and also ace the bat hound streaky can get out of here though (laughs) yeah like uh, what what uh what what super pets do you think the other uh actors in this are gonna play i'm calling john krasinski as ace the bat hound no no that's kevin Kevin hart oh kevin hart yeah I feel like oh, I feel like considering his role as uh, Jim Halpert, um, John Krasinski would probably be whatever the Flash's animal is. Just because I, I I feel like I, I feel like uh, Flash in comics kind of has a little bit of similarities to uh, um, to Jim Halpert, if that makes any sense. Oh, they're both I guess- comic reliefs, so that means they're the same character. So, like, we have this big cast, but we only know that Dwayne Johnson's playing Crypto and Kevin Hart's playing Ace. But it seems weird, because I I almost would have expected John Krasinski to be Crypto and Keanu Reeves to be Ace. Like, it just... Why are you describing a better movie? <laughs> we're, we're talking about this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna be honest. Kevin Hart playing Ace the Bad Hound kind of makes me less excited for it because I know he's either going to be an incompetent buffoon or yeah, actually that's the only character Kevin Hart's ever played in a movie. So it kind of sucks because I really like Ace the Bad Hound. I wish all these people that say that comics are being ruined or whatever today because of like women or black people or whatever group they've decided is political today i wish that we could go back and show them like well one it's always been political but also two sometimes it was just the superheroes pets instead so like there's never been a ton of integrity when it comes to who and what gets a comic book the wikipedia page no i don't know if this is accurate uh it mentions Four superhero, sorry, four super pets: Crypto, Ace the Bat Hound, Jumpa, who is Wonder Woman's pet kangaroo, mm, fun, <laughs> and Streaky the Super Cat. Yeah, 
Uh, and I'm very excited for a kangaroo to be in this movie. <laughs> Honestly, I think I'm looking forward to finding out who is playing who almost as much to actually watching the movie. It's going to be a weird flick, y'all. <laughs> but I'm all for it. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm there. I mean, we'll definitely talk about it on the podcast. So. I'm seeing now, Crypto the Superdog only ran from 2005 to 2006. It also only it has the a longest 7 out of 10. two years of my life. Why did you have to mention that your ideal casting would be <laughs> John Krasinski as, as uh, Crypto and Keanu Reeves as Ace? That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. I hope Keanu Reeves plays the dog from John Wick. I I do have to say, I think it's really funny with the... Anytime they have the super pets. The super pets just are, in personality and everything, the exact same as their owners. Yeah. Or at the very least, like, Crypto and Ace the Bat Hound are just... They're the exact same as Superman and Batman. I, like, no differences. For uh, for the third week in a row, we're going to talk about NFTs. <laughs> More specifically, the Doge NFT, which sold for $4 million for whatever reason. And it is, uh, I don't know if it's the most expensive NFT ever sold to date, but it is the most expensive NFT of a meme sold to date. <laughs> And I want you guys to tell me what other uh, famous meme animals deserve to top Doge as the highest sold meme NFT. Ooh, ooh, definitely. If you uh, say Harambe, you're off the awesome podcast. Penguin. <laughs> Who? Socially awesome penguin. Now we're talking old school memes here. This is before yeah, my time. So there- I got to look this up. There, t- it's basically two memes. It's the same penguin, just reflected uh there's socially awkward penguin and it's blue and there's socially awesome penguin and it's red uh, and one of them is facing left and the other is facing right i want socially awesome penguin to be the next <laughs> big meme nft hmm. so if we're talking Any- specifically animals the only one that really jumps to mind is the meme of the cat sitting at the table and you have the very upset woman Ah. pointing and screaming at the cat because like that was one of those memes that had staying power i don't really know why it wasn't like more interesting or a better format than any other but that was one that still is around today and it was like all over social media for an uncomfortably long time now that i mean that's only said, a couple years old though right yeah it's not like it's that old. yeah not it's not old but like I still see it. Like, if I scroll Facebook for two minutes, I'm going to see that one somewhere in the mix still. And again, this is Facebook, so it's like eight years behind. But like, whatever. It's still it's still there. But the problem is, you're asking what should top Doge. And the, the fact of the matter is, nothing should. <laughs> this is true. The one true meme, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but what do you think? Socially awesome penguin, though. I do I think like we should bring that, it back. Um, now that I have heard of its existence, I am sad that I was not around for it to be a thing. <laughs> no, Jackson, no. Jackson wasn't born until like six years ago. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make a. Everybody listening to the podcast, please send in your best socially awesome <laughs> or socially awkward or any combination of them penguins. Uh, Specifically, I'm going to make some about Jackson and use them to promote the show. (laughs) (sighs) But uh, anyways. Still confusing to me. Yeah. um, Four million is too much. (laughs) It's still weird to me how many people in this world have just like a a throne of money (laughs) and then they choose to go and spend that on a meme. And, like, they didn't even do this as any kind of, like, investment or ownership of a product. They definitely did this so that there will be headlines saying, Man bought Doge for $4 million, LOL. 
like that's that's it <laughs> like like he did it for the meme <laughs> <laughs> an nft of doge would not act as a copyright what is i <laughs> they don't even wait then what's the point of what these? are they <laughs> They what? compare it to a digital autograph from the meme creator. Nice. What? Nice. <laughs> Who cares? Uh. <laughs> Sorry, we can't talk about NFT for more than like a minute or two without having to talk about how stupid it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm just depressed afterwards. <laughs> like, do you know... How much I could do with those four million dollars, and not even Nothing? think about NFTs. <sighs> God. This has been a busy week for me, so I'll be honest. I haven't really been into too much, except for uh, I've been playing about thirty or forty-five minutes of Octopath Traveler every night before bed. Uh, that was until about three days ago when I realized that I accidentally closed the game on my Xbox on a different account. And even though I'd been saving the game literally every time I encountered a save point, everything since the last time I closed the app was erased. Now, I think I was at about two and a half hours when I last closed the game, and the save that was deleted was at 16 and a half hours. So in other words, I'm not playing Octopath Traveler ever again. <laughs> um, so Hey, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. I'm also not going to play Octopath Traveler <laughs> ever again. Yeah, yeah. Jackson, will you join us in never playing <laughs> you know Octopath yeah. Traveler again? I played like five hours of it two years ago, and then Jordan took his copy back because I was borrowing it from him. <laughs> I'll join you now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So that was that was fun. Lost a lot of progress on that. Gave up on it altogether. Um, the only other thing I've really been into is the thing we're going to talk about next week. And I don't want to get too far into it other than to just say, like, it's awesome. <laughs> like, it's so good. <laughs> but we'll... We won't tell you what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody place your bets as to what it could be. <laughs> That he's been up to. <laughs> yeah. You have approximately one week. <laughs> yeah. I will not tell you which big new release property I have spent several hours enjoying over the last couple days. But uh... We will tell you what it isn't, and it's not Final Fantasy VII Remake. This is true. I have not been playing that. <laughs> It could be Mass Effect, but it isn't. It's, it's not. No. <laughs> uh, and let me just look at the popular upcoming on Steam. It is not Tower of Waifus 2. <laughs> Sorry. So. That one's it. <laughs> oh, actually, it was that. Sorry, yeah, everyone. Yeah. No, but yeah, we're... We're talking about a big new game next week, and oh boy... <laughs> So, anyways, Jason, what what have you been into? What have I been up to, you ask? Well, I have continued playing through the Mass Effect games. Um, I haven't had as much time for it as I would like. I, You know, I beat Mass Effect 1 uh, almost two weeks ago now. And I've been playing through Mass Effect 2 ever since then. And it's just going much slower. Um, I mean, it's a better game. <laughs> I'm not complaining. I think Mass Effect 2 is the best of the trilogy. Uh, and I think that its focus on, like, actually kind of growing the characters over just pushing the narrative forward serves it really well. I have so much fun playing it. Honestly, the conversations that you can have with your companions in that game are honest, the main focus for me. Um, some, other than that... Some of the best writing I've seen in a video game, period. Yeah. When Garrus tells me that he needs to finish some calibrations before he talks to me, I'm like, that is so realistic. My friends also won't talk to me. Other than that, I picked up uh, Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate on sale 
and I've been having quite a bit of fun playing that. Uh, I think I'm just more into like the Mortal Kombat style of fighting games than Street Fighter. Street Fighter is all about combos. Uh, Mortal Kombat is much more approachable for me. <laughs> it's more I, about I think it, knowing it, your kit and your spacing and just being more like tactical awareness, I guess you could say. Yeah, when I I can't even get the combos out in uh, Street Fighter half the time because it'll be like <laughs> be like six button presses and it's like all right, do all of these in like half a second, and I'm like, no, I'm slow. I I have I have dumb fingers; they don't work. But Mortal Kombat, it'll be like press four buttons, and I'm like, that is doable. <laughs> and a lot of the motions for. Mortal Kombat feel natural, whereas I feel like a lot of the Street Fighter ones just feel, like, random. It'll be... Like, like if you have an attack in Mortal Kombat, which is like, you take a gun out of its holster and shoot it, it'll be like, down, diagonal, forward, forward, which indicates, like, the direction your hand would go when unsheathing and aiming a gun. Whereas, like, well, one, Street Fighter doesn't have guns. But if it did, it would be like, up, diagonal, down, left, forward, and then like three I think buttons. that's part of the big thing is Street Fighter has a lot of diagonals where like you need to make circles or quarter circles or whatever. Uh, Mortal Kombat, it's just like up, down, left, right, uh, and then whatever your face buttons are on your controller. It, it sticks to pretty simple stuff. It's a lot of fun. Um... I still think it's a little bit over the top with the violence, but I think that's that's what a lot of people go in for. <laughs> uh, I just think it's cool that I can play as the Terminator and RoboCop now, so they got me in there. Jackson, what is up, my dude? So I, too, started Mass Effect this week, and uh, as Jason said in the last episode, when I gave Mass Effect 1 a 9 out of 10, that I would absolutely love to... I have so far. I haven't played too much of it, but everything is significantly better. But, about five hours in, I took a break to start playing Horizon Zero Dawn again. And now I have played about 15 hours of that in the past three days. And let me tell you, it is a wonderful game. <laughs> there isn't, it's not as good as Mass Effect. You know, I, I, the, the genre that Horizon Zero Dawn is, uh, just simple good old action adventure more of my style of video game um so i i think i would have to say i i like it more uh sorry if that hurts you jason but it's true uh it is just an all-around amazing game with there, there's nothing that i hate about it there are a few things that i find a little bland or just you know not so great like the melee combat and climbing it's still Other an that, open world like you're checking things off a list type explorer which yeah, isn't yeah. everybody's jam like i get that that gets tedious but there right. is something like truly unique about horizon like i haven't really felt in any other game before i think it's that because yeah same with me this game just sucks me in more than any other game that is an open world game has i think what it is is its world feels alive but not because of living things, but because of giant death dinosaurs. <laughs> wow. That's all I have to say, actually. Oh, okay. Wow. Well, uh, <laughs> its world feels yeah. alive because of all of the non-living things in it. I know. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. It feels alive because there are giant robot dinosaurs, just like there are in real life. Well, folks, that just about does it for this episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we really hope that you'll reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter, at TBMCast, on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media, or you can send us an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Send us your reviews for new release stuff. Tell us what you like, what you dislike, what you'd like for us to do differently, if there's any specific words that we say that make you uncomfortable, like if a video game podcast keeps referring to things as pleasurable for some reason, just whatever whatever you're feeling about the show, we want to hear it. And 
if we hear it, we'll make the changes, or we will reach back out and tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> if we get literally any responses to this video, I promise we'll look at them. And we'll either make the changes, or we'll cry, <laughs> because they were hurtful. The more hurtful, the better. <laughs> uh, Please send all hurtful responses directly to Jackson <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> Along with any hand-drawn photos of what you think Jackson looks like. <laughs> if you could send us a flag of the country you think Jackson's from. Because you could never guess. <sighs> okay, folks. For the Totally Biased Media Podcast, I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. And you just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye. It's all right.